When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronya. <laughs> We're terrible. We're an awful, awful, awful baseball team. As the New York Mets get swept by the Kansas City Royals, we'll talk a little bit about these games. We'll also listen and then analyze every single thing Steve Cohen said uh, when he met the media and really spoke to us as fans about the plan moving forward. As far as this series is concerned, obviously they opened it up an hour or so, two hours or so after the trade deadline passed. So Tuesday night's game was watched in a cloud. We talked about it briefly on our last Rico, how frustrating that game was, losing on a walk-off balk in which Jordan Walker never threw a pitch, or Josh Walker, not Jordan Walker. I wish it was Jordan Walker. Josh Walker gets on the mound, has a pitch com issue, tries to call timeout. Oh, no, a balk. You lose in a game in which the Mets blew multiple leads. Well, the Mets would do us a favor in game two and three of this series. They would just take us out back, shoot us, and put us out of our misery. Because the Mets in game two and in game three of this series, let's just face it, was absolutely non-competitive. Absolutely non-competitive. And I love Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga's had a very good rookie season. Kodai Senga's name's been mentioned a lot over the last couple of days because upon trading Verlander and upon trading Scherzer, Kodai Senga is like the last outlaw. He's the one guy you look at going into 2024, along with Quintana, but you look at Senga and say, hey, that's the rotation. That's the guy. We're going to build around Kodai Senga. And no offense to Kodai, but when he takes the mound in game two of this series and he promptly throws 150 pitches in the first inning and he promptly has issues with his cleats because there's a lot of dirt in it and gives you just a really laborious, I don't even want to say bad outing because it's not like he got knocked out in the second inning and gave up seven runs, but just a very mediocre outing. No offense to Kodai, but it was not the start you wanted to see in the Kodai Senga is the ace era of New York Mets baseball. That's the way I would look at it. And he puts them in a hole early. They're down 3 nothing, And then you have a lineup that great Jeff McNeil's leading off. Okay, fine. Francisco Alvarez is batting second. Super. Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, even Vientos and Beatty. Fine. Great. Okay. You've got a 7-8-9 of this batting order of three guys who coming into the spring training this year, you would have said, I don't even want these guys in a spring training lineup. You've got Jonathan Aruz, who I completely forgot existed. I have to admit, I, I'd heard of him. He's bounced around the majors, and he was in, I think I would see his numbers every time I'd go to the baseball reference praise and check out how Ronnie Mauricio's doing. Every time I'd go to the minor league app and check out on the AAA Syracuse Mets, I'd see Aruz. And I'd say, oh yeah, that guy's on our team. Well, all of a sudden, he's on the major league roster playing second base. Rafael Ortega, who had started the opener of this series as well, 
a guy who the Yankees signed in the offseason, thinking maybe he's the elixir for left field for them. He's playing the outfield with Brandon Nimmo now hurt. And then Danny Mendick. So the Mets presented us a 7-8-9 of three guys who we never mentioned in spring training. Like they were around, but we would never mention them. Not Ortega. He wasn't around. But the other two were. And I know it doesn't mean anything. I know the season is over and they're giving up and all that. But still, it was painful. <laughs> the The second game of this series was the reality check of, okay, this is going to be bad to watch. That's what that game was. They had a million opportunities to score against Cole Reagans and the Royals bullpen. They loaded the bases up at the end of the game with Jeff McNeil. And it was just, it was pathetic. They got shut out by Cole Reagans and the Kansas City Royals. They featured guys in the lineup that have no shot of being here in the future. I don't mean to pick on random veteran journeymen, but when I think back to former bad Met teams, I think of some of those names of guys we were forced to watch that even in the moment you knew were not going to be a part of the fix. Like uh, Nori Aoki. Remember Nori Aoki? the outfielder, played for the Royals, played for the Brewers. When Nori Aoki was getting at-bats about four or five years ago, what was so depressing about it was, this guy's not going to be here when things turn around. And that's Ortega and Aruz and Mendick. They're not going to be here next year or the year after. And I know it goes back to the complaint we're all going to have. When we open up the emails later in the pod, most of the complaints right now are going to be about where's Ronnie Mauricio. And here's the thing. You could pick apart what Ronnie Mauricio has done at AAA. You could tell me, well, maybe Ronnie Mauricio is not ready. He's not ready for the major leagues based on a defensive standpoint, or he's not ready for the major leagues based on being overwhelmed by major league pitching. And you may be right. Like I'm not claiming to know if Ronnie Mauricio is ready. But when you are now playing out the string, which the Mets are now doing, we'd all rather see the young player get opportunities as opposed to the veteran who have, has no chance to be around. When Brett Beatty made that error in the opening game of this series, an error that cost them the game, as frustrating as it was, not one of us said, well, I can't play Brett Beatty a third anymore. Like we're willing to watch the bad of the young player develop. We are willing to kind of learn about Brett Beatty and Mark Vientos and Ronnie Mauricio. None of us are willing to watch Rafael Ortega go over three. None of us want to see that. So game two of this series was just a block on a game. They had nine hits. They couldn't score a run. They got shut out for nothing. Sango was very mediocre. I don't really want to put anything on him here. It's not his fault that he is now looked upon as the one shining hope in this Met rotation. It just wasn't great timing. Like the great timing would have been for Kodai Sanga to pitch seven scoreless innings upon being bestowed the new ace of the New York Mets. Not to go out and not be able to get through six and give up three runs to the Kansas City Royals. As far as the finale of this series is concerned, thank God I was on the air with Tiki talking about everything else but the Mets. Like, thank God we were talking about Aaron Rodgers and the Yankees situation and everything but that game. Because every time I would glance up, and I would glance up because, hey, I'm a Met fan, one nothing, 3 nothing, 3 nothing, 6 nothing, 9 nothing. Danny Mendick is pitching 
Lindor is hitting a meaningless home run. And the Mets got their, I mean, really, they got blown out. I don't care if it was 3 nothing through 6. That was a non-competitive game. The Met offense, it's the Met offense, which is funny because even though we can complain about the guys hitting towards the bottom of the order, you still have a lot of regulars in the lineup. They didn't trade all their offensive weapons. Jeff McNeil is there. Lindor is there. Alonzo's there. Beatty's there. But it was a putrid effort by this offense. They got the meaningless home run by Lindor late. Carlos Carrasco, you know, here's the one positive about the Mets being, you know, roadkill for the rest of the season. Complaining about Carlos Carrasco is meaningless. It just is. Like, I could sit here and talk about how much he sucks. Does it, does it matter? He's not going to be on the team next year. He's pitching every five days because they actually need breathing humans to start games every five days. So he's going to pitch. I mean, as much as I don't want to see a ruse or DJ Stewart, or Danny Mendick, or any of these guys that won't be here next year. Yeah, Carrasco fits that, but they have so few pitching options that if you DFA'd Carrasco, and you said, all right, I'm done watching him, which I'm not opposed to, but I'm just telling you, if you do that, who the hell's making the starts? (laughs) I guess it's Luke Casey, because right now it looks like David Peterson's in the rotation. Tyler McGill's in the rotation. So, yeah, I guess it's Luke Casey or you're rushing up Mike Vassell, but it's not as if they have a lot of other options. So we're subjugated to watching Carlos Carrasco every five days. Yeah, but, Ev, you know, you, you made the point about the same thing. It's like, you're right, we have zero in the minors. But those zero in the minors I prefer to see than Carlos Carrasco. Like, I need to see if there's somebody that we have that could be some sort of living, breathing body that's in the minors that could be producing in the major league level. You know what, though, the difference is? Because I don't want to come across like a hypocrite in terms of, hey, call Mauricio up, no big deal, but don't call up the pitching. Don't call up Vassal. Don't call up Stewart. Don't call up Scott. I think that they're young pitching is so much further away from making major league starts than a Ronnie Mauricio getting major league at-bats that if they called up Mike Vassell or Christian Scott or Tyler Stewart or Dominic Hamill, it would be rushing them. And that may not be good for their development. Yeah, but like Joey Lucchese, like you said, like the guy, does he suck? I I don't, I have no idea. We have no idea what he has left in the tank. And is he going to be an option for next year? If he is, Let's see what he really could do. You know what I mean? Like we talk about McGill. We talk about Peterson. Listen, it is what it is. They, they, we, they, those are the guys that are going to see innings. Bring them up. And here's the other thing, too. I have a question for you. And yeah. is is this something that is strategic? Because we know how Buff does love the veterans. Is it something like they're giving these veterans one last shot in in uh, August, excuse me, to like see if they have anything that they could prove and – raise their value so they could sign with the team next year and not just dump them now? No, I, I don't think so. I'm pure guess. I don't think they're trying to do any favors. I think it's just the lack of options. I think it's the lack of, you know, who else is going to play? You know, even if Mauricio is called up tomorrow, and he should be, and we could scream about that for every Rico for the rest of the season, there is still going to be at-bats going to these veterans who have no chance to be on the team next year. Like, there's still going to be those slots. Now, once Marte is back and Nimmo is back, that certainly takes away a few of the at-bats. But I think you're also going to be much more cautious with injuries over the next two months of the season. Uh, If the Mets were 10 games above 500, 
Is Brandon Nimmo playing some of these games in Kansas City? Maybe he is. I don't know. But I kind of lean towards they're going to be extra cautious, especially with core guys, if they're dealing with any injury. I also wouldn't be surprised in the case of Luke Casey if the Mets end up with a six-man rotation. If they end up saying, well, who's in? think about who's in the rotation. The guys that are going to be here next year. Kodai Senga, they were always worried about his workload. They were always worried about, that's eh, an adjustment, new baseball, pitching on regular rest, even though he's barely done it. I could see the Mets over the final month and a half saying, we want to make sure we give Senga an extra day. And let's get an extra guy in the rotation. Like you're not right. There's no ace that needs to pitch every five days, obviously. I wouldn't be surprised if we're looking at that. I had thought, and I had said this on the Rico, uh, maybe the last one or the one before that. There's a part of me that just wanted to see Peterson out of the bullpen. Not because he's relegated to that, but because I just want to see if next year, maybe that's his long-term plan. And maybe that's where the Mets get their benefit most out of David Peterson. But they've moved away from that immediately. You know, upon these trades, they quickly announced he's re-entering the rotation. He's starting the opener of the series against the Orioles in Baltimore, a game I'll be at, which shows how sick I am. But I am excited. You know, seeing the Mets on the road, no matter how bad they are, it doesn't matter. Most of the time when I've seen the Mets on the road over the years, it's been in bad seasons, you know, because most seasons are bad. Think about that. Think about it. Play this game in your head. Think about every season you've watched the Mets and remembered the Mets. Most of those seasons are bad. I went through this last time. Since their 15-16 run, we'll call it, getting to the World Series in 15, losing the wild card game in 16. So from 2017 on, play the good-bad game on the season. 17 bad. 18 bad. 19, eh, okay, sort of a pennant race. 2020, bad. 2021, bad. 2022, amazing. 2023, bad. Like the bad outrates the good most of the, we don't get good years over and over again. No. Hopefully we get that someday, but that hasn't happened in our history. No, and, and Ev, this is the thing about the history in general. Like we average making the playoffs once every six, seven years. That sucks. That's terrible. That's yes. brutal. We've yes. made back-to-back playoffs twice in our career, and like one of them doesn't really count because it was a, a wild card game. I don't even count that. I agree. And, and the more I think back to last year, I barely count last year. I know the wild card series is a playoff series. It doesn't even feel like a real one. So the last time the Mets were in a real series, like a real one, is 2015 when they're losing the World Series. And since we're on this, I was thinking about this the other day. They lose two out of three to San Diego at City Field in the playoffs. They lose the wild card game in 16 to the Giants. And they lose their last two World Series games to Kansas City. You know what that means? It means they're one in five in their last six postseason games at City Field. <laughs> I don't know why that depresses me. <laughs> and, it and, does. And, 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 and if you really want to go back to in 2006, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't City, but they still in a clinching game. I don't know why, why I have to go back to that, but like, again, like they lost, they lose every, when they lose, they lose at home. Yeah. Oh, actually you want to go back even further. So let's go to the last two games of the 2000 subway world series, right? They lose game four. <laughs> they lose game five. Oh, and two at home. 
Now we go to 06. They win the two games against the Dodgers. Great. But then they go two and two against the Cardinals at home with game seven being the one you're talking about. And the other big one was losing game two, the Scott Spezio game. So two and two, four and two, four and four in their last eight postseason games at Shea Stadium. Now we go to City Field. We jump all the way up to 2015. They go one and one against the Dodgers. They go two and oh against the Cubs. They go one and two against the Royals. They go 0 and one against the Giants, one and two against the Padres. I haven't added it all up, but it's under 500, is my point. We lose a lot of home playoff games. I I think we need to move. (laughs) (laughs) Go to a different park. (laughs) Yeah, that's clearly it. It's the park. It's not just a crappy franchise that we all root for. Uh, Honestly, I don't want to spend any more time on this series. It, It was. It was ugly. It was bad. It's probably going to get worse. They got swept by the Kansas City Royals. Just let that sink in. A team who up until recently, I know they've got a six-game winning streak now, but up until recently, they were putting up numbers side-by-side with Oakland. That's how bad they were. And the Mets, even after these trades, managed to get swept by them. They're going to play the Orioles. It's going to get ugly. One quick thing, and then we're going to get to Steve Cohen. We're going to listen together. This is going to be a fun game. We're going to listen together to everything Steve said the other day. We're going to pause it, and we're going to analyze everything he said and how we interpreted what he said. So we'll spend a lot of time on that. But before we get there, before we get to the Steve Cohen uh, conversation, there is one thing that's very, very, very important. And a caller brought this up on the air to me the other day. I wanted to fact check it because it is a new CBA. I don't know it like the back of my hand. And I also never expected the Mets to be in this situation. But there is something very, very important in the CBA that we all need to at least discuss real quick because the Mets may be better off losing. And that's not something I've ever been comfortable with. I haven't been comfortable with the Jets losing and rooting for it, the Nets losing and being comfortable with it. Like I always want my team to win. Even in the NBA, where tanking is certainly a lot more common. Like when the Nets lost 70 games that one year, the John Wall year, I never rooted for them to lose. When the Jets were tanking for Trevor Lawrence, as much as it would have benefited them to have lost every single game, I can see that with clarity today, I never sat there on a football Sunday rooting for my team to lose. It is not in my DNA. It's not in my blood. doesn't make me smart, though. actually makes me pretty stupid. So here's where the Mets are. Because they're in the luxury tax threshold, the Steve Cohen tax, as it's called, and that number was $230 million, and obviously they eclipsed that by a lot. Uh, That was one tier, but they eclipsed every single tier. In the CBA, it writes, a club that exceeds the competitive balance tax threshold is subject to an increasing tax rate depending on how many consecutive years it has done so. Obviously, the Mets are going to do it, I think, every single year. When you do it the first year, it's a 20% tack on overages. When you do it for a second straight year, it's 30%. If you do it for a third year and more, it's 50%. So obviously, a very, very high tax bill. If a club dips below the luxury tax threshold for a season, the penalty level is reset. So it does reward you for going back down under the threshold. If you are $40 million or more above the threshold, which the Mets are, 
you're subjugated to this. The highest selection in your draft pick the following year is moved back 10 slots. Now, we pretty much all knew that. I've mentioned it before casually that part of the negative to spending as much as the Mets have is wherever they're picking in the draft, it goes back 10 slots. But there's a caveat. Moving back 10 slots unless your pick falls in the top six. In that case, the team will have its second highest selection moved back 10 picks instead. So here's what this means for the New York Mets right now. What it means is that because they're in that tax, their first round pick for next year, based off of this year's results, would move back 10 slots unless they're in the bottom six. So the Mets would benefit from being a bottom six baseball team. Now, where is the bottom six? Because most of us don't pay attention to reverse standings. We just know where we are in the standings. The team with the worst record is the Oakland A's. That's a lock. The team with the second worst record is Kansas City. That's a lock. Three and four would be Colorado and Chicago, both sitting at 66 losses. Then you have Washington. Then you have St. Louis. They represent the St. Louis Cardinals, that bottom sixth team. So if you just say, hey, Mets are not falling behind Oakland, Kansas City, Colorado, Chicago, Washington, they would have to fall below three teams that are underneath them right now, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and St. Louis. Right now, the Mets are sitting at 58 losses. They are 50 and 58. If you look at those other teams I just mentioned and say, okay, well, where are they? The St. Louis Cardinals are 48 and 62. The Pirates are 48 and 60. And the Detroit Tigers are sitting at 48 and 60. The Mets are at 50 and 58. The Mets are not that far off from falling into the bottom six. Will they fall into the bottom six? I don't know. I mean, a lot of it depends on, hey, are the Pirates going to get relatively hot or the Cardinals going to get relatively hot? But right now, there's only a three-game difference. The Mets have a three-game lead over St. Louis, but they would have to drop below those three teams. And if they did, they're picking sixth in the MLB draft next year. If they don't, they're picking 17th, 18th, or 19th. That is significant. So I understand the Met fan who either knew this information or is hearing it now from my voice saying, hey, guys, we're better off losing. I get it. You're right. Does that mean I'm going to sit there in August rooting against them? No, probably not. Definitely not. I think the only time I've ever been closer as a fan, and it's up to everybody listening on how you want to handle this, is when we get to that final game of the year. Like, you're telling me it's the final game of the year, and if the Mets lose, they're picking sixth. But if they win, they're picking 17th. I understand. You know what I mean? Like, okay, fine. So the other day on the air, Tiki made a comment that I just thought he was just saying. I didn't think he had any knowledge behind it. He said, I think the Mets are tanking. And I said, well, what what the hell are they tanking for? Now, unless Tiki knew that CBA and didn't tell me, which is, I guess, possible, (laughs) he's right. There is a benefit to tanking right now. I don't think Buck Showalter is putting a lineup together thinking that way, 
But I do think that the Met front office and Steve Cohen certainly know the rule and certainly think, hey, if we're not making the playoffs, we'd rather lose and get the sixth overall pick than win a couple of games and pick 18th. Yeah, this is basically Major League, the movie. Put together a roster of dead people almost and just see see how many games you can lose. I mean, Buck has no choice. You're right. He's putting together the best roster possible, which is Crapola. And let's be serious here. We thought June was bad. <laughs> the three easiest games we had in August were versus Kansas City. We just got swept. We have Baltimore, the Cubs who are pushing for a playoff spot, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, which, like we said, we don't know if we're going to go on a run. St. Louis is uh, is teetering around the terrible as well. Atlanta again, the Angels, and then t- Texas. I mean, you legit realistically, you have s- – between Pittsburgh and St. Louis, seven possible games to win. This team is so bad. But is that good? Like, are you on the page of, you know what, just lose all these games, tank to the bottom so that they can pick sixth instead of 18th? It's going to make my life a little bit better because I have rooting interest to get in the Mets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, rooting the other way. <laughs> I- I'm not there yet in the middle of August or early August to be rooting against them, but I fully acknowledge they're better off finishing in the bottom six. Like it's, it'd be ignorant for me to say, ah, it doesn't matter. No, it does. Obviously you can find a great player at 17 and screw up at six. We all know that. And that's the case in any NFL draft or any NBA draft and obviously in the MLB draft, but you always want to be in the best position to succeed. And picking sixth is obviously better than picking 18th. There's no question, but I thought that was important information to have out there. So now we all know it. So now we all know that when you watch this team lose, at least in the back of your mind, you could say, well, there's a positive. Here's the positive. The positive is they're going to pick.